We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with Ginger Lumen, and we're going to get deep into how to do some project-based learning stuff, and you're going to really enjoy this, I'm sure. We're also going to put out some pretty crazy ideas about language arts and math and core classes in general. So, you know, just be prepared for that and uh, not going to make any radical changes yet, but just thinking about the ideas and doing some of that visioning is, is always fun. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ginger. Could you talk about the different parts of project-based learning and from the angle of I'm a principal and I want my teachers to start doing more project-based learning, how do I communicate that to them? And let's go ahead and start with launch if that's all right. Oh, absolutely. Well, the first chapter of the book really is preparing. It's um, where I start to look at um, what it is I want the kids to learn, how I want them to learn it, what sort of things I want them to struggle through, who might need to be involved in this besides me. Uh, it's, it's a bunch of things that we want to think about as we're preparing. So then the launch, which is actually chapter two, some of the things we want to make sure is how how could we get the kids to want to know more. And and Jethro, you and I have been pretty well blessed for the most part. I can't speak for all your kids, but we've had usually pretty good kids. They We talked and said, hey, you know, you want to learn this stuff? And they're like, yeah, we'll be there. But there's a lot of us who have kids who are absolutely disinterested in school. And it turns to me, seems to me that the older they are, the less interested they are. And so if I can hook them from the start to be curious. Now, I can't hook every kid all the time. 
So how do, what's the story? What's interesting? What's amusing that the kids will find intriguing? And what I find a lot is that teachers will say, well, I think this thing about George Washington is just the coolest thing ever. And, and, I, and, and I nod and I, and I smile and I think, you know, I thought so too. But what do our kids find interesting? Because mm-hmm. the kids... The kids don't find that interesting. You do because you're a nerdy teacher. That's right. Um, that's right. So, and, and that's okay. Uh, you know, for instance, if I'm going to talk about having kids learn about um, animal cells, I don't start by talking about animal cells. I start by talking about zombies because my kids are interested in zombies and they think they know a lot. And we talk about how maybe how zombieism passed. They're laughing at me. Oh, zombieism, Mrs. Lewin, you're so dumb. <laughs> yeah, whatever. This is all intentional. Right. And uh, how's it passed back and forth? And they're telling me all these terrible things. Oh, was it a bacteria or a virus? You know, because I'm usually doing what, eighth grade, ninth grade with this. And, uh, and pretty soon, and I'm moving my hands. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. How does it attack? And of course, this is zombieism, which is totally fiction. So there's no right or wrong answer to this. But I said, well, I don't understand. If it's a, how does it attack? The cell to make us change. So, and I'm moving my hands, and pretty soon some kid says, Well, maybe we should make a model. I mean, I got you hooked right in the gills with That's that one, right, didn't I, yeah. kid? You know? Well, maybe we should. And now all of a sudden they're making a, a connection with uh, how these, how bacteria, how viruses uh, attack animal cells, uh, which, by the way, is also how we might talk about cancer or whatever. It's something that the kids think they're learning about zombies, and I'm Trojan horsing in the real learning they're needing to do. So the launch is, is it, is it me? Am I a great storyteller? So can I hook the kids that way? Or maybe I am a great storyteller, but I've been telling them and launching these for a long time. How can I reach out to somebody else? I had a mom one time who I needed somebody to be the secretary of the UN. And this mom, uh, one of the kids in my class, I knew she'd had surgery and she was at home for several weeks. And so she, uh, I said, would you be the secretary of the UN? And she says, absolutely. And so she gets dressed from the waist up. She Skypes in. Now, I wrote her an email, and I said, say these things. Just read this email. And it's maybe five, maybe five minutes long. And she reads it. And at the end, I said, Madam Secretary, I, I, oh, by the way, I'm telling the kids, the secretary of the UN is going to be Skyping in here. we got to be paying attention. And the kid's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, come on. And I'm straight lying to them because I know that just, Mrs. Ratzliff pops up on the screen, <laughs> and they're like, what? That's Colby's mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, come on, guys, this matters. They, they, they're like laughing at me and with me, and, and we're silly, and we decide to go on with it. And so she reads this really important email, and at the end I say, Madam Secretary, I appreciate you for your time. I know that, it, it, that you've got a really busy schedule. If the kids have further questions, I've, got, I've received your fax from this morning, and thank you. And she's like, well, have a good luck, kids. You know, it hangs up. And, and I pull out this piece of paper that's blank, because one, she didn't send me a fax, because it's out of my head. But it was something different. And I think a lot of times that we think kids want routine. And I don't know about you, but routine in my kids' land leads to boredom and predictability. And so then they start trying to find their own interest and excitement. And if I can keep them a little off base, a little off kilter, and then they have to learn to prioritize how to make sense of it. By the way, these are life skills. And I want them to practice that a lot. So that's kind of some thoughts with the launch. I, I go way in deeper than that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question there. Now, one of the things that we have that is real in our world as teachers is the need to have 
standards for our students. And maybe you'll talk about this in high expectations and we can jump there if you want to. But, you know, one of the things that I need to ensure in my classes is that teachers have a learning target posted on the board and that is part of their evaluation system. And, you know, I think I know an idea of how we can get around this, but what's your advice for dealing with those kinds of restrictions that are placed on teachers? How do you still have a a learning goal or some of these teacher things that add to the boredom routine for kids? How do you have those still be part of what you're doing when you're doing PBL? When I'm doing project-based learning, it makes me have to rethink, why do we do these things in school? What's the purpose? And does that move my kids forward. Now, I understand, the and that's, by the way, is a question I get so much. I understand the learning objectives on the board. We want the kids to know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Totally get it. But when I ask (laughs) my teachers, I said, go ahead and put that on the board, the kids come in, they look at it. It's basically like I handed you a wrapped present and said, it's a sweater. Enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's, there's no excitement in getting to unwrap that. And so the purpose of why we put it on the board is so the kids understand what they're doing and they get the big picture. That's what my driving question is. That's what my, uh, when the kids are launching, when the kids, I tell the story and at the end, I give them the challenge or the question. I'll put that, if you need something on the board, I'll put that on the board. So that when anybody walks into my classroom and says, what are y'all doing? Why are you doing this? They can talk about that. And so they may not have the answer yet. If I put the learning objective on the board, I mean, we're going to be practicing this that smells like school and this that smells like, and all of a sudden the kids are like, oh, yeah, this is school. This is not fun. I remember school's supposed to be terrible. I got to take them out of that. And so I don't want to have those on the wall. And so if you're, a, if you're an administrator who, who requires that or, or you have to, I would say let's talk to the teachers and say, how can we still get that purpose of that objective on the wall met without uncovering the cool stuff we're learning? And because if you walk into a PBL classroom, you ask the kids what they're doing and why they're doing it, and they can't tell you, there's a problem. That's a problem, uh, as it would be in any classroom. And, uh, and that's how it's set up. With the expectations, I think it's really important. I don't wait until I launch the project to figure out what the kids need to learn. I know from the very beginning that I, people ask me, Ginger, do you start with the standards or do you start with a tasty thought and project and idea? And I say the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Which, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> whichever comes first to you. Sometimes you can say, oh, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. Now, what learning can I push into this? And, uh, and sometimes there are just standards that we have to meet that you're like, man, I cannot find a fun way to do this. So this is just what we're going to do, kids. And, and so we start with, with a, the standard and make it as interesting as we possibly can. I, th- I think that's, that's important. I think, too, in project-based learning, a lot of us want to start by thinking about the standards. And I say that's a number two conversation. The number one conversation is how much time do I have? Teachers complain all the time. Uh, and educators in general, we don't have enough money. And, and, you know, that may be true, but the truth is what we have least of is time. And so I need, I I can't have a project that's going to take six months and only hit two standards. I can't have it. So what is it I need them to learn and how much time would I normally take to teach that 
okay, that's good. Then, then that's what, then that's how deep I can go. And what other side standards can I also get engaged in there? So a lot of my reading and writing standards that I have to have the kids practice, I can meet at the exact same time we're doing our social studies standards. So now how much time did I buy? Um, I mean, if I can buy more time from somewhere else, let's do it. Uh, but sometimes you don't have that much time. So if I'm doing a Viking project, it needs to be done in two days. Because really, I'm going to, what, take two weeks to do the Vikings? I would never take that long in the regular classroom. <laughs> so I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that is is so important. So the time and then also the standards, I just want to react to those those things real quick. The The standards, one of the things that I've seen that's been really successful is instead of having the standard posted up on the board, one way to do that is having the kids write down their own goal for what they're going to be learning that day. And so that becomes something that if you give them the language to use what they should to be able to articulate what they're learning, then it becomes Mm -hmm. real powerful when they actually do articulate their learning and say, oh yeah, I'm learning about this standard in social studies, but I'm doing it in this way. Them being able to articulate that can be really powerful. And that's something that I've seen where uh, that's way better than the teacher putting the thing up on the board is the kid having that written down in their journal or however it is that they're that they're tracking that. And then the second thing I want to say is about the timing. A lot of times people think that project-based learning just, you know, takes so much time and a ton of time in the world. But the idea of what we call in our district double dipping, where you're getting multiple standards from one practice, you know, I sometimes feel like language arts classes, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, (laughs) but (laughs) language arts classes probably shouldn't really be taught because we should be having those standards in every other class and it's so artificial to have that be its own class. We should all be teachers of reading and writing and all be incorporating those skills into everything we do because it's all about communication. And if you can't communicate, then you're not going to be successful in your adult life. So you need to learn how to communicate and learn in a real situation how to communicate. So stepping off my soapbox. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> no, I love you so much for that. I'm actually working with a high school right now that's looking at dissolving their English program. What? And, and, and they're not, yes, <laughs> they're not firing their teachers. No. They're not firing them. The teachers will still be there. The English teachers will still be there to support the other teachers and making sure they've got high quality learning happening, but that reading, writing, listening, speaking matters everywhere, and that we can, the only part that I'm only a little bit nervous of, and I can see how it can be solved, but I don't teach there, uh, is is the literature aspect. But to me, (laughs) literature comes from history. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if we're going to go there, Jethro, the very fact, oh, I'm sorry, because I say this, but I only say this to an audience after I know I got them, because it's terrifying to teachers, is not only should we get rid of our English classes, but we should also get rid of our math classes, because what is science other than the application of math? Yeah, I hear you. And if we go one step further, why don't we go ahead and get rid of all those core classes, particularly at the high school level? We don't need reading, writing, social studies, or I'm sorry, the the language arts or the social studies, math or the science, because I'm pushing here. I'm totally pushing. There's a piece of me that believes this, and there's a piece of me that says, "Mm." because 
in our electives, you know, the kids, the classes the kids want to take that are almost always very strongly connected to careers and interests, personal interests and passions, why can't we say a kid wants to be taking art classes? What is art other than cool math and perspectives and pieces like that? Uh, and there's history to it. And how can you talk about art and write about art without talking and writing about it? You know what I'm saying? Is that maybe what if our classes could only be those electives and everything else is pushed in through that elective? Oh, you can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I think that we can, and I think there are some who are, but I think that's such a pipe dream so far down the road that most, that's, yeah, yeah. So, But I like to think about these things and wonder. Yeah, absolutely. So let me tell you what we've done with our language arts classes, because I think that it's been really cool. So when I first got to Kodiak, we had two periods of language arts. So we have 45-minute periods, seven periods a day, and two of those were language arts. And I thought that was a little bit excessive because most, well, every school I've worked in had just 45 minutes of language arts. And, you know, their justification was, well, we have the reading standards and the the writing standards. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Writing. No, How can okay. I not remember that word? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had the reading standards and the writing standards. And what we did is we said, we're going to do one period of language arts, and we're going to push a lot of those reading informational text and writing standards into our social studies class. And that opened up an extra opportunity for kids to have another elective, which has created some other problems like having a lot of elective spaces for kids, but not a lot of elective classes. So that's been a problem. But what we've seen is that now our social studies teachers are able to take our reading and writing standards and really incorporate them into their social studies class in a way that they never have before that has, I think, drastically improved our social studies curriculum and made it a lot more beneficial and rich to our students and made it so that our kids actually understand it because the teachers are now implementing strategies to ensure that their kids understand the what it is that they're reading, which, you know, before it was just like, here, read this. Now it's here, read this, and here are some strategies to help you break it down, understand it, and do all these different things. So I'm going to have to get the name of that high school that's dissolving language arts because we're I'm definitely going to have to interview that principal. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll share that with you. Okay. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, great little sidetracked conversation there. And I I just love the idea of, of adjusting and, and really tackling some of those issues. Now, I know that uh, not many, but some of my teachers listen to this podcast. And I just want to say I'm not going to dissolve language <laughs> arts and math right away. <laughs> right away. <laughs> well... And maybe we don't do it at all, you know, but the idea of what if we did, what would, let's, let's play with the concept of Mm -hmm. doing something different because if we just keep doing the same thing, but doing it differently, nothing's going to change. Sometime we're going to have to do something different. That's right. So, yeah. So one of the things that I really want to get 
your perspective on, and I know we're getting close to time, so I want to respect your time, but the idea of grouping your students appropriately and allowing mm-hmm. for choice, but not allowing for, you know, the kids to only be with their friends all the time. Can you talk a little bit about how you, how you group kids effectively? You have uh, hit right into what I think is a key component to the culture of schools. I think right now, how we group kids creates bullies. And I don't think we intend to, but I think it has a huge amount of impact on, 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 on how our schools and how our kids treat each other. So I'm going to dive into this for a little bit. Hey, and don't be shy because I've, I've got a lot of pieces to think about this. It's more than just do this or do that. This is, gets complex, so interrupt me at any moment. Okay, good to know. I think <laughs> I want to tell a story because this seems to have the most impact. I've got a friend named Shelly. Now, I know this is a, this is audio podcast, but if you knew me, y'all, you'd know I may not be the most physically fit person in the world. And uh, I'm kind of a big girl. And I've got a friend named Shelly, and she is like queen gymnasium, man. She is on it. And, and so I went to her one day, and I said, Shell, Shell, hey, can you help me? I, I need to get a little more healthy. Can, can, can you help me at the gym? And she goes, oh, my gosh, Jen, yes, absolutely. So we, we meet at the appointed date and time at the gym, and, and she shows up in her workout gear, and I, she's looking all good, right? And there I show up, and I'm just glad I'm not in jeans. That's all I'm going to say. And so I go in with her. We start. She goes, okay, let's do a little bit of a warm-up, get our muscles warm. She's talking to me about this stuff. I, mean, you know, I don't know. I'm, we're on this maybe 30, 40 seconds, and I'm starting to pant already. Right? I'm breathing, but only I'm trying to hold it in because I'm like, really? This is only like 30 seconds or so. And so she's talking to me about my day, and I'm trying to answer while I hold my breath. Um, and, and we go further. You know, I'm 5, 8, 10, 20,000 minutes. I don't know. How, <laughs> we've got some time, right? <laughs> and uh, she's talking at me, and I, 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 I'm like sweating big time already. And I thought, well, this is okay. And I'm laughing and I'm trying to answer. And we get past beyond the, the warm up, and we're really working out. And by this time, I'm like, that's it. I'm breathing like a water buffalo. I'm, uh, I'm sweating like it's fun. I'm looking over at her. She's still chatting at me. She's got like three beads of sweat on her upper lip. I'm like, well, come on, God, whatever. And, uh, and I'm starting to hate on her. Right. She's so awesome, though. She's so nice. She's like, Ginger, keep going. Uh, you're so great. Good job. You know, love the effort. Okay. So she's talking to me. And finally, we get to the end of this 18 hour baton death march. And uh, <laughs> okay. So I don't know. We were there maybe 30 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and we go out to the parking lot. And she's like, Good job, G. You've done a good job. And I'm like, Hey, thanks a lot. You know, trying not to punch her. And uh, she gets in her car. I get in my car. And, and I drive away. And she gets back out of her car and goes back in to get a workout because what she did with me was not a real workout for her. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the uh, physical manifestation of what we do every, ki- every day when we put kids in groups of high, medium, and low in one group. I mean, think about this. Shelly deserves to work out with other people who challenge her. And I deserve to work out with other people who, you know, who are like, ah, I'm just going for it, right? And sweating, breathing, and, and because... What would happen if Shelly wasn't nice to me? What if she didn't like me? And what if I didn't like her? Man, I hamstring that girl every chance I can get, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, I think that's what we do in school. And then we blame them. We got Miss Bossy Pants, right? And she's just like, da 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 and, and by the way, she may be bossy. She may be a leader, whatever. Uh, point is, is that we made her and we blame her. Likewise, we got kids who would work, 
But when we put them in this bossy pants, they just sit back like, man, whatever. She's going to do it anyway. And then we call them lazy or whatever. And they, 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 both of them start developing really bad habits. So I think there's three ways we want to think about grouping kids. And one is I want to have kids grouped on by ability on a very regular basis, very regular basis. I want my highs with my highs, my lows with my lows. And what I have just effectively done is reduced my class size. And so I can laser pinpoint focus exactly what it is that Shelley's group needs. And I can laser pinpoint focus exactly what my group needs. And everybody's being treated respectfully. And they're getting challenged at something that's appropriate. However, if all I'm doing is grouping kids by ability, pretty soon I've created the haves and the have-nots. And that's not appropriate either. So how do I get them to mix intentionally, not just one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, how do I get them to mix intentionally? So I, I think there's two ways to do that. One is by interest. So if I can have kids, and what? Well, there's a, a handful of topics that I can hook every single kid in a classroom. If it's a secondary level, what is that? I'm working with kids like uh, technology, sports, music, uh, civils, civil rights issues, uh, women's issues, sometimes fashion, cars sometimes. you know, I can grab those topics and get every kid saying, I'm interested in that. I can go over and do that. And if I've got kids who are lower, who are struggling academically, they bring something to a group that they're interested in. We don't look at them, oh. And, and what it causes us to do is for those high-ability kids, start looking at those other kids like, oh, oh, you do have knowledge. I didn't realize this. And bam, we're starting to come together as a community. Everything, every single thing that we do in a project-based learning classroom should be about bringing community together. So there's one for group. So I've talked ability and I've talked interest. Uh, what, at the lower level, by the way, those topics are... Um, Space, dinosaurs, animals, technology again, sports, sometimes music, again, fashion or whatever, you know, those those sort of things. That being said, that sometimes it's hard to bring those topics into just any classroom. So, all right, I can't shoehorn in sports into my articles of confederation. Okay. So what I'll do then is I'll um I'll find out what my topic is and split that up into pieces and then ask kids, go to the group that you're interested in. Now, oh, Ginger, they're going to pick their friends. Hold on, I got you on that one too. But if I'm really working with them and they're understanding, so they're, they're going to the area that they're interested in the topic and we got interest. The second, the third one is uh, readiness. Um, I had a kid, I'm going to say this out loud, whose mother should probably have never had children and she had five we have those kids, right? Yeah. And um, and he, he, the kid. I'm not gonna. He was not a nice kid. He was really hard to love, and he wasn't particularly bright either. So he, that's how he stood out. And he, he came into my biology classroom, and he's saying things to me about these animals that I'm like, what? I, I don't now. I'm no slouch in in biology, right? I'm pretty good at this, and he's saying things to me that I've never heard before. So I'm quick googling. I'm like, "Holy moly, this kid! This kid is right!" And I didn't know that. And and, and it it didn't take me long to understand that mom didn't really want him to be around. So she turned on TV and set him in front of Animal Planet mm-hmm. for years. And the kid had picked up so much stuff. So what group do I put him in there? I don't put him with his regular peers where he struggles. I put him in the high readiness group there. And so then all my other smart kids are like, wait, what? Why is he with us? And I'm like, oh, shut up and listen to him. He's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And the kid all of a sudden starts to get a little bit of uh, a different perspective on who he himself might be as well as his peers start looking at him differently. And again, we're coming together. 
That's that's a pretty powerful story, Ginger. I love thinking about that kind of stuff because our our kids do have so much that's outside of school. And what I love about project-based learning and the stuff that you're talking about is you can actually do something with that when you start approaching things differently. It requires you to do something with that yes. when you start approaching yes. things differently. And and there's such power in that. And I've had so many experiences where other teachers have really struggled with kids and I've started working with them and I immediately go to interest because that's how I get them to be my my pal in the learning and we yeah. figure out what they're interested in and then we do those those things and you know I'll find a way to make the standards fit in there but if the kid hates everything I suggest then they're not going to do it anyway you know so yeah. Anyway, I just think that that's it's, it's respectful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's respectful of them as a as a human being with a heart and a mind. Otherwise, they're just what a bag of meat and bones in our chairs. I mean, yeah, we're way I can't way have better that. than that. So, can you talk a little bit about the difference between readiness and ability? I think ability it, it can be measured many different ways. I think. Um, there are a lot of kids who process things very quickly. They may not be the brightest bulb in the box, but when you teach them, they go, wow, that's quick. So that's one way to think about ability uh, is how quickly they process things. Uh, and there are some kids who, by the way, are super bright who have to take a lot of time with a topic, and then they've got it. Well, my mom was the slowest reader in the world, but man, she had it when she read it. My dad and I blow through a book really fast. Now, which one of us is smarter? Well, in the classroom, my dad and I are. Right. My mom's labeled as slow and dumb, and it's so wrong. So I want us to look at ability differently that way. Another thing is, is that we can look at ability just overall in general. You know, is the kid, is the kid doing really great work? Uh, do they know things uh, that others don't know? Uh, do they come to us a certain way? And I, and I want them to look different. I want Because at one topic... I may have a topic in my class where a kid knows a lot about it because they went to a museum or, or they learned something, they read a book or something. Well, then that's readiness, if they're ready for something more. And again, like my, my boy in that biology classroom, he was ready for something more because he'd already experienced some things with his biology. Again, not the fastest processor, certainly not a kid who makes good grades, but he was ready for it. So let's do it. I may have a kid who's interested in wars and weaponry, right? And I'm teaching some sort of battle or whatever. And again, maybe he's not the fastest learner in the world. Maybe he doesn't make good grades, but he's really highly interested in what we're getting ready to go over. He's ready to learn it. I'm going to put him in the high readiness. It's not something that's a black and white with a hard line in between. Again, it's part of that art, the heart, heart, H-E-A, heart, art of teaching <laughs> where we have to get to know the kids. Yeah, and you know the the real important part there is that those groups need to be fluid. If you are tracking kids, which is putting them by ability in classes and forever, then that's not a good way to do it. But within your classroom, you hopefully always have different levels, and that's a feature, not a bug. You hopefully have that so that you can have your kids learn different things from each other. And then on one project, they may be in these groups. And on another project, they may be in these completely different groups. And being willing to know the kids well enough to place them differently and being able 
to see their interests and ability and readiness is incredibly important for those kids to have that success. Yeah, Caroline Tomlinson out, out of Virginia talks a whole lot about grouping, and she says that kids need to see themselves in a variety of groups on a very regular basis. And by the way, all this stuff that I'm telling about grouping is not necessarily PBL. It's differentiated instruction 101. That's right. But you can't do good PBL without understanding differentiated instruction and how to manage that type of environment. And this, this grouping is that for sure. Can we talk about friends and groups? Yeah, please. So at the beginning of the year, I tell the kids, I don't know who you are yet. I'm going to find out who you are. And I'm going to be putting you uh, with other good group workers. And the kids, and if you're not a great group worker, then I'll be putting you with other bad group workers too sometimes. <laughs> and the kids right then immediately tell me who they are because the good group workers are like, yes, finally. Because yeah. <laughs> they're so tired of hauling other people around. And, and the bad group workers just kind of slump in their chairs and look side to side all shifty-eyed. <laughs> and, uh, and so at the beginning of the year, I may start with one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four, one. And by the way, um, the gurus in the world say that four is optimal in a PBL group. Uh, I say two people in a group, they go, with logger, they go to loggerheads. They start disagreeing. So three, to me, is, is optimal. In my experience, I've talked with other folks who run PBL classrooms. They also agree that three. The gurus say four is acceptable. I think four is okay. I like three better, but four is good. Five people in a group means that three kids aren't working. Mm-hmm. And so, so I want to think about those numbers. And I may have a giant where I'm doing 70 or 80 kids doing one giant project at the same time. I might have them in groups of 10, but within that group of 10, I've split them out into groups of three. So, so I want to keep them in smaller groups where everybody has to have their hands on. Okay. So beginning of the year, I say just random one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, until, and I'm studying them hard. I'm studying them quick, figuring out who they are so that as soon as I possibly can, I can start putting them into ability, interest, or ready group, readiness groupings. And I don't let them pick their groups. Well, can I be with my friends? I'm like, no, baby, no, no. <laughs> and I don't really give them a reason why. I ha- this is the reason why. Because they're terrible. Group of friend groupings are bad. Not always but a lot of times. And so we start working on contracts. I think contracts are very important. I don't write the contracts. The kid write the contracts. At the very beginning, I say, what do you love or not? What do you hate about group work? And they all have plenty to say. They write it down. Uh, every kid writes their own. And then I say, well, what do you love about group work? That's a, that's a shorter list. That's okay. <laughs> and then I say, okay, now you're going to write a contract that addresses all of those. And then you're going to sign it. And they write their contracts. And their first contracts are terrible. But here's the deal is if you're in a group and um, somebody's not following the contract, you can fire them. And then they get to deal with me, and I get to work with the kid and so that they get a chance to come forward and show that they are actually doing the work eventually. They might be pulled out separately. Contracts are very deeply outlined in the book. I'm really cursory hitting them right now. Mm-hmm. But what happens, the kids start to learn how, how to behave in a group, and they get called out. If, if they don't do well. And, and I, I don't leave them like Lord of the Flies, y'all. <laughs> I'm in there with them as much as I possibly can be. It's my job to make sure that nobody gets fired. But that happens from time to time, and, and then I, I take over on how to fix that. Okay, as we go further in the year, about October, November, they've had a good experience of how to finally start learning how to work in groups decently. And they're starting to realize who does a great job, who doesn't. And what they've found out is that sometimes they're very good friends are horrible human beings. 
and they didn't realize it. But if I was to say at the beginning, oh, kid, you shouldn't be hanging out with that person, I just guarantee those two got married. Right. Right. So I can't be, I can't be the one that tells them your friend's not a good friend. I have to let them discover it. So as we get further in the year and I get more busy, I say, oh, because I'm a lazy teacher. I'm so sorry, y'all. I didn't make groups today. You guys will just want to pick your own groups. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I want to be with my friend. And what happens is, again, if they haven't discovered it yet, that their friends really are not always the best people to be around. And so then the next group comes around, and, uh, and I ask them, oh, do you want to pick your own, or do you want me to pick them? So many, many, many times the kids will say, uh, you pick. You pick, Mrs. Lumen. Yeah, Because yeah, they, yes. they don't want to tell their friends. They suck, yeah. right? And so uh, to me, that's a great learning ability. And, and so then I, I, I pick them and I put them together. And sometimes I do one, two, three, four, but then I let them look because I'm lazy again and mm-hmm. I haven't put the groups together. But I look at them and I pull a kid out because as I'm looking around at the groups, there's inevitably one kid standing next to another very, very quickly, quietly, like pushing his eyes over to that kid next to him and like shaking his head no, looking at me with all panic eyes saying, please don't let me be with this kid. <laughs> And so I pull that kid out, and I want you to come with me. I think I might want you in a different group. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Lumen. You know, because, again, it's hard for them to tell their friends that maybe they're not greatest people in the world. And, again, how do I get them to be to get over those humps. As they're younger kids, it's easier to get over it because they haven't had years of developing those bad habits. But the older they get, the more difficult it is. But it's still important for them to recognize that sometimes their friends are not the best people in the world. Yeah, that is that is a great strategy to help with that. I appreciate you sharing that. So we're going to wrap it up here. My last question to everybody is, what is one thing that principals can do to start implementing PBL. The one thing that they can do. Yeah, you got to narrow it down now. Like, where do I start? What's my first thing to do? Buying your book already in the show notes. We'll make it happen. (laughs) But other than that, what do we need to do? They have to know why they want to do it. They want, you've got to communicate with your teachers and help them understand that even our best students. How many of us have ever known a kid who was just amazing? They did everything that they were supposed to do in school. They had made top marks. They were well-rounded. They, were, uh, they took all the hardest classes they could. And when they got out in the real world, they fell down flat on their faces. Even our best kids need to learn how to manage time, manage themselves, and, and to learn how to solve problems. School doesn't, school doesn't do that for us in a friendly way. School tells us how to solve our problems if we're students. And then... It stops and then says, well, you need to learn how to solve that problem. And the kid's like, what? Because where in the world are they getting this? We have to understand that this is more than just the latest fad because it sure as heck is. And it's helping kids learn how to think, how to have voice in the world. That's so important. So what they do is you gotta, you got to find and understand that this is not a one-day hiring somebody to do it one day and blow away. This is going to take sustained training, support, and help and the, to recognize that all your teachers are different too. And teachers teach how they're taught. And so if your professional learning mimics project-based learning and giving teachers choice and respecting where they are, then you're on the right track. But if it's stand and spray, how are your teachers going to learn how to do something different unless they experience it as a, as a learner themselves? Yeah. That's definitely powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So, Ginger, how do people learn more from you, connect with you, follow follow you on Twitter? 
Well, I am just Ginger Lumen everywhere. Uh, currently, I've been doing some Facebook Live uh, videos. I've been doing them all semester. I think I'll end up with like 14 of them, which they don't tie directly to the book, but there's still a lot of questions that I've either received on social media or in uh, workshops. And so those are free. Those are available. I also have been sharing them out on my Twitter. I put them on a YouTube channel. Um, I'm a, Social media is where I live. So that's where you find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle podcast. And it's uh, been an honor to chat with you. And uh, thanks so much. This was super fun. That was a great conversation with Ginger Lumen. I'm really excited. I was able to chat with her and learn from her. Again, her book, a link to it is in the show notes. Please go check that out. Buy it. Download the Kindle version and uh, make sure that you uh, have an opportunity to read it to help further your thinking about project-based learning. Ginger's been doing this for as long as I've known her, and she's really good at what she does. If you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. It means a lot to have other people listen and uh, subscribe. And if you can, leave an iTunes in, uh, not an iTunes in iTunes, leave a rating and review in iTunes. That would mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for listening. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.